Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. everybody. I love the energy. Thank you, Hayden. I love the energy in this place today. It's awesome. And I love the sweaters. You guys did such a great job. Um, I've been taking some pictures of that this morning, uh, which is really cool. Uh, so thank you for being a part of that. That's, that's awesome. Um, I want to throw up a picture here uh, because uh, we had some people at Hope throw an ugly sweater party of their own last night. Uh, so I just wanted to give them a shout out, this life group. Um, now, you may have looked ahead and saw that I'm talking about the wise men today. So we need to take this picture down, Tom, because that might be a little bit confusing. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, and uh, before I get into it, I just want to welcome everybody online. Uh, we had some technical difficulties this morning, which is very rare, but we are up and running again. So we want to welcome you uh, to uh, today's service and um, just so glad that you're joining us uh, from the internet this morning. And uh, we are in the middle of a series called Giving Up on Christmas, and we're kind of going through the story. Now, now the story that we know and is often read and we hear is in Luke chapter 2, except that we are putting that to the side and looking at the only other place in the Bible that I think it's mentioned, and that's going to be in Matthew 1 and 2. And we're kind of drawing out some maybe some uh, lesser known characters or even like lesser known talked about parts of the story. And today is no exception. And um, we're basically asking the question, what would happen? What would happen if some of the characters in the Christmas story that we all know and love said no when they said yes? Or said yes when they said no? But they did the opposite and it wouldn't be the same, Right? And so we're doing a lot of speculation because really, honestly, we speculate a lot. I said this the first week. We speculate a lot about the Christmas story. There's very little we actually know, except we think we know a lot because we hear the same thing over and over again. So we're just exploring just that little extra today. And um, I, I guess I should start out uh, with a question. How many people, uh, when they went to school, liked history class? Anybody want to raise your hand? Uh, my hand is raised. Uh, I'm seeing Alyssa say, no, 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 no. How many people hated history? Okay. So, so those of you who hate history, uh, I, I, I apologize today uh, because today might feel a little bit like a history lesson, maps and all. Okay, um, but I think there's something that we could all take from it, and I am excited about that. And um, that was interesting. We just sang that song, We Three Kings. Now, now, we haven't really sung that song a lot. And if you think of it, like from the melody of it to even the words, it's a little bit strange, right? It's like, what? what? This doesn't kind of fit with the happy, jolly Christmas story. Uh, so that was intentional because I want us to get our mind about what was happening when we talk about the wise men or the magi. 
And then we are also going to introduce another character that's not often talked about in the Christmas story. And his name is Herod. All right? So hang on. If you hate history, I'm sorry. But we're going to have a good time today, and I hope that God is able to speak uh, through your heart. So we are going to be in Matthew chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you could turn there. If you're online, it's in our notes. And everything that we read is going to be on the screen so all of you can follow along today. Matthew chapter 2, the lesser known part of the Bible where the Christmas story is told. Starting right in verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. So we're going to stop right there. Who in the world was King Herod? And Tom, I have a map that I want to show. So here we have basically that part of the world in Jesus' time at the time he was born. And so you can see here, we have Judea and Samaria and Galilee and all those, all those interesting spots. And if you look right below Judea, you will see the city of Jerusalem, which was the capital city. And right below Jerusalem is the town of Bethlehem. That's where Jesus was born. Okay? And also, by the way, if you go way up under Galilee there, you'll see a little town called Nazareth. All right, so that's where they grew up. That's where Mary was from. And Herod, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So who is Herod? So he's the son of Antipater. Antipater served under Alexander the Great. He was the what was called the procurator, um, uh, the procurator, however you say that. And basically, uh, he was in charge of all the financials of that area at the time. That's basically what he did. And Antipater had two sons. One of them was named Herod, and he was appointed the governor of Judea, and um, he became known as Herod the Great. Not because he was very great, which we'll see in a minute, but just because he was the eldest son. So now we have kind of the, uh, the political scene set for the birth of Christ, Herod was very diplomatic as he rose to power. He, he, he had a lot of skills. He had a lot of diplomacy skills. He was able to bridge the gap. You see, he was not Jewish, and he was not Roman, who the Romans were the, at the time over and in charge of that area. But they appointed him as the ruler in that area of the land. And over time... They were so impressed by him that he became known as the king of the Jews, which is very interesting, right? And so instead of taking over everything, because now again, the Jewish were under the Roman uh, laws, and, and instead of oppressing them, he actually be kind of, in the beginning, befriended them. He, he, was, he, was, uh, he leaned his ear uh, to them. He didn't lord it over them. He gained favor with them in, in a multitude of different ways, one of which is he helped them uh, repair and build parts of the temple, which was very, very important for the Jewish people people. And so he began to rise in power in Galilee and the surrounding regions, and he had direct authority over the Jews by the time that Jesus is born. And that, that area, by the way, 
started to see economic growth and cultural growth. And so the Romans were like, this is perfect. We have a guy here who's kind of like keeping the peace and also building the empire at the same time on our behalf, which is very interesting. And because he was so masterful at diplomacy and he was able to quell these riots and rebellions um, that sometimes would pop up uh, from the Jewish people, that's when they bestowed on him that title, King of the Jews. And by the way, if you were in that time and if you were a Jew in that time, I'm guessing this is the point where they started saying, mm-mm, no. It infuriated them, actually. And it, gets, and it sets the stage for why things happened the way they did in the coming verses in the accounts that we read. And so as power often does, over time, it went to his head. And he became a crueler and crueler dictator over the people at that time. In fact, history tells us he killed his wife. He killed all three of his sons because he tried to protect his throne. Not a nice guy. Let's keep reading, though. We have a lot to get through. Second part of that verse, Matthew 2, 1, it says, About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. So we're going to stop here now. We are now introduced to the second characters in our story, the wise men, or as I'm going to call them, the magi. The magi. The wise men were called magi. It comes from a Greek word, uh, something like my, magi, uh, which means astrologers. It could also mean sorcerers. And before you let your mind wander into what that might be all about, let me just say this, that it was, kind of, it was not what you think when you think of that today. It was a different kind of, uh, uh, of, of idea then. Now, they came from the east. Tom, can I have that map again? They came from the east. So if you could picture in your mind's eye all the way off to the right here, there is the eastern lands of Persia, Babylon, that was also another powerful empire in that time. That's where they were coming from. This is why the Bible tells us they traveled this way, right? Westward leading, still proceeding, right? But again, getting ahead of myself. These people, highly intelligent highly regarded in the courts of those in the Babylon Empire. And hence, that's why many called them wise men. Most people think they were the most educated and most well-respected people in that area of the world at that time. They had money. They had respect. They had connections. They were seekers, and they were searchers. They studied science. They studied history. They studied the arts. In other words, these were the highest, most well-regarded people in the land. In fact, some historians would say, you didn't rise to become king unless you were first a wise man or a magi. They were known as interpreters of dreams. 
which was common in that culture back then. They studied the stars to see what they could glean from that. They were astronomists and astrologists. And so it stands to reason they observed this strange phenomenon in the sky, right? And they began to study and to seek out what that was all about. So they set on their way to follow this star. Now, now this is several months after Jesus was born at least. Because by the time they see it and they begin to look at history and the science and begin to really uh, get on, uh, pack up for the journey and take this journey west, it took some time. So between all of that, some would say up to two years, others would say it was several months, but again, it's speculation, we don't know. Somewhere in that time is when they arrive in Jerusalem. So that's where we're going to pick up our verses. Keep following along with me. We're reading Matthew chapter 2. So it says, wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. So this is interesting. Let's keep reading. So King Herod, when he heard that this group of people, now again, one of the things that we speculate is maybe there were three. I'm guessing there were a lot more than three because given their role and their authority, they were probably traveling with a huge caravan of people. Right? So this was not like covert operations. And Herod, when he found out there's this, these people who, again, were deeply respected, even by him, and were like, what are they doing here? And why are there so many of them? And all of the, culture, the, the tensions culturally and all of the tensions politically, you could see where Herod's mind, again, how evil he was, too, at this stage of his, his rule, started to go crazy, right? And he was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And he called a meeting of his people, the leading priests and teachers of religious law. And he said, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Again, now this is something that the Jews had, had been predicting for a long time. They were expecting a Messiah. This was not, this was not an unknown thought. Those who were learned and educated would know that this was a part of Jewish teaching, right? So they said in Bethlehem. In Judea, they said. And so now we get to the point in the story where our two characters meet. Herod the Great and the Magi from the East. Let's read on. We're in verse 7. So then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Now, I just want to point out something super quick. We don't find anywhere where the wise men went to Herod. We see them being called into the royal palace, which I think is interesting. They were on their own seeking journey. And guess what? Herod was on his own seeking journey. Verse 8, and he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. And after this interview, the wise men went their way. I'm going to stop here for a little bit. 
What I'm trying to draw out here is we have two separate characters and we have two separate journeys. Both of them are pursuing something, right? Both of them are in pursuit of something. We have the story of the Magi who are pursuing this great phenomenon because of this thirst for knowledge and learning. And they were expected to know what was going on in their world. And it gives us great insight into their place in this story. They were there to pursue truth and not give up until they found it. And Here's what's interesting that I'm not sure I ever put together before as I studied for this talk today. Um, by the way, one of the sub-themes that's happening all throughout this series, when I think about even week one with Joseph, when I think about Carrie's message last week, uh, is the way God works way ahead of time <laughs> through the circumstances and the people that we never would have thought in the moment, right? One of the things that's going on in this series, and one of the takeaways for all of you, is to open our eyes to the fact that something's happening, even in the present, that we don't know what that's all about, and we might even doubt, and we have no idea how God is going to use that in the future. We look at that, especially like Carrie's stories last week, we see those as unredeemable. And by the way, some of you struggle with that. Some of you feel like there are things in your life that are unredeemable. God doesn't want any part of that. How can God work through this thing? How could God work through this trauma that I've gone through? We may even see it as impossible. And yet God works through our lives, through the people before us, and he gives them insight and courage to say yes. So, so here's what I realized that in my study, and I think it's very interesting. And I want to point out another story in the Bible that I think comes into play here. And you're going to be like, where in the world? And then it's going to be like, oh. About 550 years before all of this, the Babylonians, which I just talked about a little while ago, where the wise men came from, the Babylonians were rising in power as well. They were a great world power. And there was this king by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you have studied the Bible before, you would know that there was a point in history where he conquered Jerusalem and he took the people of Israel captive. And so now we have this story of Israel in captivity in Babylon. And what they did at the time is they took young Jewish men to train them in the service of the king. People who they thought would be uh, a good fit for that role. And so they began to train them for the service to the Babylonian empire. And here we're introduced to four people. Some of you know what I'm going to say. There's this guy named Daniel. And he has three friends. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And these were four of the young men that stood out to the king and his people. And they're like, pick them. We want to train them for service to the, to the royal empire. So this is where we come to Daniel chapter 1 verse 17. 
look at how God is working here. God gave these four men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. And when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all of the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. And whenever the king consulted them in any matter regarding wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and sorcerers and enchanters, your Bible might say, in his entire kingdom. Hmm. So now we're going to fast forward to chapter 2. Bear with me. We're doing a history lesson here. Check this out. One night during the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he had, a distur- he had such a disturbing dream that he could not sleep. And he called in his magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers, and astrologers. Sound familiar, everybody? And he demanded that they tell him what he dreamed, and they stood before the king. And he said, I have a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. And here's what happens as I try to uh, give a synopsis of the story. They couldn't figure it out. In fact, they came back to the king and they say, this one's a tough one. No one is able to figure this out, king. And the king was infuriated. And he's like, you know what? Then off with your heads. You're done. And he wanted to kill them all. And before all of this was about to take place, before all the magi were about to be slaughtered, literally, someone remembers, oh, what about that guy, Daniel? What about that guy, Daniel? Maybe he can help. We heard he interprets dreams and visions. This is our last ditch effort. Let's try this out. So he brings Daniel in and he says, Daniel, here's my dream. I need it solved or you're all dead. And so he says, well, I guess, (laughs) give me a shot. Tell it to me. And so the king tells him his dream. So we pick up in verse 17 of Daniel chapter 2. It says, Daniel went home and he told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah what had happened. And he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. And that night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and Daniel praised the God of heaven. And I love this part. Here we have someone who was given a deep, special, important insight. And instead of going like this, he says, God, thank you. And this is what he says, this great prayer. Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength, and you have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. And Daniel went in to see Ariok, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel said to him, stop, 
Don't kill anybody. Take me to the king, and I will tell him the meaning of the dream. And here's the takeaway. We can see here through Daniel's story as we begin to read God putting certain things in place. He started a movement five to 600 years earlier for what sets up in the time that Jesus was born. Listen, if you were about to be killed for something that wasn't your fault and someone stepped in to say, I got you, how would you feel about that? Pretty good, right? And I think we can learn from history, and we'll see a, just a glimpse in a second, that Daniel and his friends became a very key, critical part to this movement of wise men, magi, as we know them in Scripture. Verse 48 tells us that Nebuchadnezzar makes Daniel the chief over them all. This is a Jewish guy in captivity from the, uh, from the east, and now has the chief position among the most respected scholars in the world. In fact, the Magi were so important at that time, someone called them, they had a priestly office. That's how much they were revered. In other words, Daniel and his friends' lives marked those who came after him in the royal court for years and years to come for centuries. And we see that the faithfulness and obedience of four teenage boys influenced five to six hundred years before the greatest story ever told. That blows my mind. And it should blow your mind as well. And I can't help but think that these four young men's faithfulness to God and their knowledge of a promised Messiah, a promised King of the Jews, by the way, influenced the Magi so that they were already knowledgeable about this prophecy for centuries ahead of time. And they recognized it five to six hundred years later. And they acted on it. And they found themselves in Judea asking around for information for anyone who knows anything about it. So let's fast forward in time in our history lesson, another 550 years. So the star they had seen in the east, this is verse 9, Matthew chapter 2, guided them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. And what did they do? They bowed down and worshipped him. I can't help but think that the influence that Daniel and his friends had on them. They were aware. They were aware of everything that was going on, the prophecies that were foretold. They were also kind of on the lookout. These, were very, these, again, these, these people held open hands in their search. What is true? I'm searching, I just want the truth. I'm not as concerned about tradition. We are here to find the truth. 
And I find it interesting that they get to the baby and their first reaction was the exact same one that Daniel had when he says, God, I'm going to worship you. And so what do they do? They take out these gifts, these lavish gifts. Gifts, by the way, that were only fit for a king. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. This was worship. This is what they were doing. This was worship. Their seeking led to this point. Their searching, their true heart searching and seeking led to what I believe was legitimate conversion. They had finally found what they were seeking after this whole entire time, and they worshiped. They brought honor and attention to the true king of the Jews. Verse 12, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod the Great. So how did Herod's searching and seeking mission go? As you can all imagine, and as you all know, probably by now, not so great. Verse 16, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him, and he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of that star first appearing. Now again, you might be new to the Bible. You may have been reading the Bible all your, your life. You might not know this part of the story, but there was a slaughter that happened. Tragic. It shows you how far Herod was willing to go in his search to not be rivaled by any other king. John MacArthur, MacArthur, who's a, a theologian, he has a commentary, and this is what he said. He goes, one of the greatest evidences of his bloodthirstiness and insane cruelty was having the most distinguished citizens of Jerusalem arrested and imprisoned shortly before his death. Because he knew no one would mourn his own death, this is, listen to this, because he knew no one would mourn his own death, he gave orders for those prisoners to be executed the moment he died in order to guarantee that there would be a mourning in Jerusalem. That barbaric act was exceeded in cruelty only by his slaughter of all male children who were in Bethlehem and its environs from two years old and under in hopes of killing any threat to the throne from the one the Magi had said been born king of the Jews. This was not a nice man. And so here's my question as we begin to wrap up our history lesson today. What I'm trying to say is we have a story here that we don't often talk about, but I think the application is this. We have a story here of two different kinds of pursuits. We have a story of the pursuit of the Magi, and we have a story contrasted and compared with the pursuit of Herod the Great. And I want us to imagine what had happened leading up before this. What if, what if Daniel and his friends did not step up to the plate? 600 years earlier. What if they refused to be faithful? Because that was one of the things that stood out actually to Nebuchadnezzar at the time. He's like, look at these guys. They're standing up for what they believe in. What if that didn't happen? What if the Magi then didn't come searching 
for knowledge and for truth. And just imagine if Herod relented and reacted in humility instead of hate. Just imagine, speculate. Here's my question for all of us today. What does your pursuit of God look like right now? What does your pursuit of God look like right now, in this moment, in this time? Because like Herod, we can become cynical and corrupt and contentious in our pursuit of God. That's not to say you're going to go and kill all the babies two and under. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we can become so obsessed with ourselves as the king of our own lives that we become cynical in our search. We don't have open hands in our search. We become bitter, we become hostile, we become resentful, and we decide to become our own savior and king because I am not about to have someone intrude on my kingdom. Or, or we could be like the Magi who come seeking and searching with pure hearts and open hands. We ask questions. We pursue the signs. We bring him our gifts, our talents, our resources, our devotion. We bring him our worship. So my question is, what does your pursuit look like? Where is it going to end up? And I challenge us today to think about our own story, to think about the pieces in your life that you thought were never to be redeemed, how God might be using that in your pursuit even right now. In this Christmas season, here's what I'm imploring you. Keep searching. Maybe you're not there yet and that's okay. Maybe God's trying to teach you some stuff and you kind of have an ear to the ground and you're figuring some stuff out on your own. That's good. Keep searching for truth. Do not become defensive or cynical or hostile to the work of Jesus in your life. Listen to me. He loves you more than anything. Enough so that he came down from his throne in heaven because he wants to be the king in your life. He wants you. He wants your heart. That's how much he loves you. And so this Christmas season, I'm sure you will not sing We Three Kings again. Maybe you will. That'd be great. But when we sing that song or when we think about the Magi and the story, I hope that you take away from today, listen, I'm going to be seeking the same way. Open hands. Open heart. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, when we see, when I see your work through history, documented history, and we see your hand all throughout it, it just gives me a deeper appreciation for how you write the story and how all things work together. And God, it is bound together with your love and with your mercy and with your grace. And so now more than ever, we say, thank you. We worship you. May we come before you with humility 
and open hands and open hearts. Wherever we're in on our journey, wherever we're seeking, And just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And I'm just going to ask that question. All of us are on a journey. I don't care where you are. We're all on a journey with God. We're all on a journey with Jesus. And with no one looking around at all, I would just love to know if you would be willing just to slip your hand up to say, if this is you, if, if you would say, I'm on a journey and I'm seeking and I'm not exactly sure where I am, but I want to have open hands and open hearts. Would anybody have the courage just to slip up your hand? You could keep your head down and your eyes closed. No one's looking around. Yeah. All over this room. God, for those who lift their hands, I pray for an extra sense of guidance and wisdom and blessing and comfort and peace and joy. God, that you would just surround them with you. Help them to know how much they are loved. God, bless their seeking. Bless their searching. Bless the fact that they have an open hand, an open heart to you. I pray that we as a church will be able to come alongside God, thank you for this season. Help us to never, ever forget the importance of it. In Jesus' name, amen.